0: Hello, my name is Michael Griffin. Um, I'm here with Nicole Tremski. We are both part of UB Sustainability and we are going to be interviewing Nicole um, regarding her recent study abroad trip to Costa Rica. Um, Nicole, can you give us a little intro about um, what the study abroad course included?
1: Yeah, um, so this winter break, I joined uh, UB on their Costa Rica study abroad program. Uh, the, the study abroad is The name is Sustainability in Latin America, and we focused on Costa Rica specifically. And we got to see all the aspects of sustainability in their country. So energy, uh, food, uh, food growth um, and other social aspects relating to sustainability.
0: Sounds super cool. I'm honestly super jealous. Now, before we jump in, I know that you have a specific interest in food systems, however, that's not going to be a primary focus of today. We're definitely gonna talk about it, but um, uh, I just have some general questions before we start. Um, The first one being, what was the most important part of the trip? What was your favorite?
1: Um, Okay. So it's interesting because this was engineering majors um, and engineering led study abroad uh, trip. But in almost every conversation that we had, the social aspect is the one that like came up most often. Um, So what surprised us a lot was the awareness of the locals. That they they really knew the impact that one could have uh, in the environment. And their awareness just really shocked me how... I remember this one time we walked out of a bar and there was a guy in the street. He lived in the street, and he started chit-chatting with us. And we mentioned that we were there for sustainability study abroad, and he he knew. He was like, "Wow, that's really cool! You got to see like geothermal[s] and our hydroelectric plants. We have plenty of them." So that was like a good way to start off the trip for sure, and also how the local farmers knew the important importance of conserving the soil and avoiding monocultures and the need to be sustainable that that's really stuck out to me and i think in costa rica just in general people people really understood that term like what it meant to live sustainable um and not just to sustain our lifestyles but also to do better uh for our environment and future generations
0: So you said sustainability in costa rica has a very large impact on um just day-to-day living for those members yeah um so okay how does that translate to your daily habits here
1: so now that i'm back um, i acknowledge that i was privileged to experience those days in costa rica and i think one of my responsibilities now is what will i do with every information that i learned um, everything that I was able to observe and what's my next steps. And I think this is where my daily habits come in. And one of the things it's conversation. Um, I understand more that we need to talk, talk about where our food comes from, where ele- electricity goes and uh, what happens to food once it's in the garbage. Like it, does, it doesn't just disappear. So what is the impact of that food in our landfill? and? These conversations will make us more aware of civilians and being more aware, we can. We are now more adaptable to changes. So maybe it's consuming less uh, waste and maybe changing a little bit our diets or the electricity and things like that. Um, so another thing is also compassion. Um, in Costa Rica, the sense of community was really strong and I think now I will bring it more to my day to day, and I think if we all had more love towards ourselves, towards one another, and the people around us, um, we can have compassion for the place that we live in, and which is the environment. And from there, I think we can finally build a resilient community that supports initiatives to combat the climate crisis, but also initiatives to support one another and to live in peace in within our communities.
0: Do you think that passion um, that the locals have for those sort of implicit sustainable acts they perform every day is is greater there than it is here in the States?
1: Yes. Um, yes, because I think they understood more uh, the need for it and that it's everyone's job to do it. It's not just the environmental scientist or the environmental engineer and it's in everyone's day to day job, so they took it more seriously.
0: So it's a collective effort. It's sort exactly. of like it's sort of like SDG seventeen, the partnerships for the goals. Yes. Okay, great. Um, speaking of SDGs, do you think that you noticed a single um, or a set of SDGs that was recurring as you explored Costa Rica? Is there one that you thought about the most as you just went about your trip?
1: Yeah. Um, there were. Let me. There were two. So SDG7, which is Affordable and Clean Energy. Uh, So Costa Rica is one of the only places in the world that is close to running 100% renewable. Um, We actually got to tour uh, wind plants, solar, hydro, geothermal plants, and even biopower plants, which was um, a cane sugar plant that we uh, toured. So they got all the remaining of the sugar cane that wasn't going into sugar production, to burn it and use it as energy. So the plant that we visited would actually rent all of their plant with that energy use from the remaining parts of the sugar cane. And they even gave the remaining to the town itself, to the community. Um, So also in the trip regarding to the SDG seven, we also got to see how The whole country had access to affordable, reliable, and most important, sustainable uh, energy for everyone in Costa Rica. So it was energy for all of these uh, little towns even, but most importantly, it was also sustainable, which was beautiful to see. No coal power plants or natural gas being used. Um, I did have another one, which was SDG 11 that came up and uh, throughout um, the trip, um, which is sustainable cities and communities. And after experiencing the culture, the Costa Rica culture for two and a half weeks, I think what really made Costa Rica what it is today, uh, it's because of its people. Uh, so we learned that it was the first country in the world to abolish its military and serve, mm. and serve as an example to the world that it is actually possible to live in an unarmed, democracy and and use these resources to better use so they actually took all the money that they put into the military to the social development and education and health and we saw that education like the people being aware they really took it into their day-to-day practices to be a more activist uh civilian and take more actions to help each other to help the environment and to protect their lands and using intercropping practices and much more. Uh, It was all about the well-being of the community and the environment because they understood that one couldn't live without the other. So it made complete sense for them to support each other.
0: So you talk a lot about working in tandem, a sense of cultural identity it seems like they're very prideful of, of the work they do, even though, you know, to them it's sort of implicit. It's kind of inherent. That's what they're supposed to do. Whereas here you view it in the United States as, as an explicit effort. You know, you have to go the extra mile to um, be sustainable, whereas there it seems like the opportunities are made uh, more, more readily available to them. Um, Going back to what you were discussing about your plant tours, do you think this sense of pride was uh, being showcased through the tours? Do you think they were very proud of their of their plants?
1: Oh yes, um, it was very interesting because every tour, like that we did in these plants, uh, we can call them like tour guides. They were in love with their job. They had a smile from from ear to ear, and they were so knowledgeable and passionate about about their job and like to explain to us and to tour us around and tell us like, this is what we're doing. This is our future plans. And it was, it was really interesting to see. It was almost like this was their like hobby instead of a job. Yeah. They just were so happy and so happy to explain to us and they were so knowledgeable and passionate. Um, and actually, this is how I want to be about my future job. I want to be like them.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Seems like the US could certainly take a couple notes out of their pages there for uh, sustainable development, specifically rerouting military funds for social development programs. That's, that's incredible. That's yeah. really amazing. Um, so you discussed, let's go back to your Instagram post that we made over the past couple weeks. You discussed agroforestry uh, a, a bunch. Um, Would you mind explaining why we need a multitude of different crops as opposed to like a, you know, the monoculture system we find here in the U.S., specifically in the greater Buffalo Niagara region?
1: Yeah. So as the name tells, like monoculture, uh, it's just a land growing one crop, uh, which is very typical for more modern agriculture, because the primary aim of it is increasing yields and profit by cultivating just one Distinct crop is just easier. Uh, You can use just one type of pesticide for the whole land and so on And actually this practice we saw it firsthand in costa rica. It is not just uh, western new york or united states And we got to walk through banana plantations owned by uh, us companies like chiquita and Dole and del monte You probably see these stickers in your bananas that you buy in the supermarket And we saw firsthand like what it meant to produce by for profit, and what I mean is soil degradation. Most of it. So, for example, the banana plantation, bananas couldn't be couldn't self sustain their weight because the soil was so weak. They had to be tied with sustaining ropes, and they also had blue plastics, uh, plastic bags, which was so odd to me. It was like in the middle of this plantation and then like blue plastic bags i was like what are they doing here and actually it's because uh because u.s takes up soil in costa rica to plant like bananas to so ship it back to u.s and sell it to us uh we do not like black spots in our bananas mm-hmm. so we put more plastic around it to prevent that um we also
0: reuse this plastic
1: uh, actually, uh, it's good that you asked, uh, they had recently a new program and uh, that they fought people, people fought to have them reuse these plastics. Okay. So actually now they're not just gone to waste. They're being
0: reused. Was it the community that was supporting that goal or was it sort of a, a government initiative? No,
1: it was completely coming from the community. Oh, incredible. And I think a group of students. Actually. Oh, amazing. Good yes. stuff. Um, so workers were also reporting issues with fertility caused by the uh, fertilizers that were used on the field Um, as i mentioned the degraded soil because of the intense monoculture and the whole issue with it with monoculture is that soil is actually non-renewable resource so once we take it away once we kill it it can take a lifespan of almost 500 years or more for for it to be formed again the uh, nutrient-packed soil Um, so the preservation of it is essential for uh, sustainable future and like food security purposes
0: Um, yeah it's very interesting that you mentioned the uh, sort of systemic stuff that leads us to my next question um, which are there any uh, are there any sort of systemic changes that the U.S. could make that would advance uh, more efficient growing practices besides commodity crops such as corn and wheat
1: Um, I think us, like we could do better uh, as citizens Uh, and it has to do a lot with our diets since almost half of all crops that are grown in our country goes directly to the animal feed. um, So there's a reason why we must grow all this huge amounts of crops, such as corn and wheat. It is mainly to sustain our livestock farming Um, in simple terms. Um, cows require a lot of food and the only way to give them a lot of food is to grow a lot of crops and in the most efficient way that we can do it is by growing monocultures. So I believe that if U.S. had a more ethical and sustainable means of production and diets, a more diverse diet that didn't require so much land being focused on growth to these livestock. we'd actually need less and we could grow in a more ethical way and more sustainable way. Um,
0: so it's the Americans fault. It's, <laughs> our, it's our fault.
1: Well, it's also, I, I think another system, systemic change that we need to do is also when we're looking at like foreign lands that we're taking up, like in Costa Rica, uh, we're not only causing damage to like our soil in the U S we also use not just Costa Rica, but like Honduras, for example, and Guatemala, Mm -hmm. we take those lands to grow food for us. And we want those perfect shaped bananas in our supermarket. So we implement the plastic bag and so on. So I think we need, uh, not just to have systemic changes in our country, but in look again, the policies that we're doing and all the damage that we're doing to other countries as well. Yeah, there's definitely something not fair in that.
0: Yeah, that, you kind of are answering um, my next question implicitly, um, but I wonder if you might have more insight. Uh, do you think that the US treats land management and you know, similar crop production with the same level of respect as Costa Rican culture?
1: Um, no, and I can tell you about this one time that we visit, uh, it was probably the day that stuck to my mind the most from this trip, uh, which was when we f- visited an agroforestry farm and there was just so much love caring respect um dedication uh from jose which was the owner of the farm Uh, and he shared all of all of his knowledge with us so he opened his farm and welcomed us there and he really just wanted to share his passion um about his farm and it was different from every farm that we had been in like the monoco the banana monocultures from u.s uh companies that we had seen and it really felt like we were doing like a hike through nature uh but surrounded by a diverse number of crops so i would be walking and i would see a banana tree and then a coffee tree and then like this cas uh, which is like a, costa, a typical costa rican fruit and mm. they had lime and turmeric and papaya trees and it was just so beautiful to see all these diverse number of crops and he went on to explain that it's not easy, it's not easy to own such a diverse farm. And on average, he lost 40% of everything that he grown, um was lost because he didn't believe on the need of pesticides. And he really stick to respecting the natural cycle, um, the natural cycle of crops. And if you lose 40%, it's because you have to lose 40%. And um, And I asked him once, like, did you ever think maybe you should be using pesticides? And it was a straight no. That's not how we treat our soil. We need to put love and respect if we want love and respect back.
0: The farmers in Costa Rica have a a tremendous relationship, uh, living and land relationship.
1: Yeah, I think a a big word that we used a lot was like diversity. Mm, If we can implement diverse, a diverse number of crops and and coming from a diverse diet, once we... Once we under- understand the need for diversity, like in in every aspect of our lives, I think that's where we can actually do changes, um, because, like in their in their meals, for example, I really paid attention to it, uh, coming from a food lover, and it was just they didn't depend on one thing. It was mm-hmm. rice, beans, it was uh, tortillas, and it was uh, vegetables and fruits and. Yes, they had meat, but it was in such a small portion. Sorry, my
0: mom's calling.
1: We're good, we're
0: good, we're good. I think it's actually still going. I'm so sorry. No,
1: it's (laughs) okay. (laughs) So once we understand, uh, yeah, just the need to have like this diverse plate and not depend on these huge amounts of crops being grown to feed the livestock and and so on, I think we can really move forward.
0: Amazing. So because of the sort of partnerships, not necessarily human partnerships, but also, uh, partnerships between human and and land and fruit and vegetables. Um, are there any long lasting ones that you created? Like any long lasting partnerships that you, you know, are going to always remember and, and hold true to you because of your time in Costa Rica?
1: Yeah. And I think there's many, I think, um, a partnership is me with myself and my commitment to, living more aware and spreading my knowledge around from what i have and listening to people and being more compassionate in order to create a more uh, resilient community and a more loving one but also my friendships that i made there we were 19 students 20 days and not just days from day to night we were every day together and definitely a lot came from that and those are friendships that i'm not ready to let go beyond my time at UB. So we see each other until today. We've been like almost a month after the trip. And yeah, we say like, let's go to the LASA, which is like the Latin student association Mm -hmm. and let's go dancing or yeah, we always making potlucks and so on. And yeah, those are friendships that will stick to me.
0: Great. So, you know, community building, not only there, but also here when you got back, that's great. I, I mean, your trip sounded phenomenal. I mean, from monocultures to agroforestry, so many lessons the U.S. can take, um, uh, you know, from from Costa Rican culture. Um, besides that, or any is there anything else that you wanted to touch base on, or you know, any concluding remarks you wanted to make?
1: Um, I want to say, if you have the opportunity to go uh, in the study abroad the case study of sustainability in Latin America, go do it. Uh, you won't regret it. Uh, you learn so much, and you grow a lot, and it just opens your mind. Yeah, so go for it.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Nicole, for talking about this. Um, I'm incredibly jealous. Hopefully, study abroad will do something with this uh, interview and encourage people to um, really go out there and explore some new areas, learn a little bit about um, biodiversity. Yes. Cool.
1: Well,
0: thanks thank so you much. Thank you so much, Mike. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.